Amen. Um, man, I love being up here. I love seeing you guys. I love seeing new faces. I love seeing old faces. Um, you are my family. You're my tribe. Um, just, I, can, I feel like I can be my full weird self in front of you all. So thanks for giving me the grace to do that. Um, and if you know anything about me, which you probably do because I run my mouth a lot, um, you know that I love television. Okay? Now, I'm not sure if that's really the best use of my time, but um, it's true. I love TV. And, uh, and, and I love TV really for a variety of reasons, but, but there's kind of two main reasons that I love television. The first reason is I, I think that personally, like, we're in a golden age of television right now. Like, I really think that. I think the types of stories that are being told and the production quality and, the, and really, like, the acting quality, the directing, the writing, like, I, I think, like, the, 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 the entertainment product of television is in a place where it's never been before. And, and the end product is just really excellent. Like, it's excellent art. And I love excellent art in any form. So I think we're in a golden age of television. Um, and number two, um, I just love like, engaging in really good stories. I think that's, like, a human condition. Like, I think people just love good stories. I mean, there's a reason why, like, everyone loves... You have that one friend, right? Like, everyone has that one friend that they, is just a crazy good storyteller. And, like, you invite them over, and you just want to hear their stories because they're so good at, like, bringing you in to these awesome... Like, everyone has that. Maybe there's, you have lots of friends. But, like, for me, I, like, there was this one friend I had in college, and I wish that I lived closer to him now. But I, I could honestly... For a guy that likes to talk so much, I could just shut up and listen to him for, like, eight hours because he was such a good storyteller. And I don't even care if the story was true or not. Like, it was good. It was funny. It was engaging. Like, it made me think. Man, so... As humans, we love good stories. And I think television currently in 2017, I think that's really the best medium for storytelling in our kind of pop culture today. Um, whether you think that's good or bad, I really think it, it's, it's happening. The types of stories that are being told and how they're being told is happening best on television. And so as a follower of Jesus, I can then take that fact and, and I can say, all right, if I want to engage in these good stories, after all, our God is a God of stories. He's the creator of everything. So any sort of creative thing that's in the world, right, is in some way a reflection of him. If I want to engage in these stories, um, then maybe I can engage in television. But what I can do, and the fun part, what I can do is I can look for the parts in television that are, like, really just bubbling with kingdom values. Like, oh, man. Even, even in, like... You know, a show that you may think is like overtly non-Christian. There's always, there's always kingdom values in every story. There's always, if you have to look for them. And I believe that because I believe that God's chosen to reveal himself in a variety of ways, right? Obviously through scripture, through our library of, of texts that we call the Bible, right? Like God has revealed himself through scripture. He reveals himself through the church. He reveals himself through the spirit. But, but we believe that God is working all around us currently, right? Like we believe God's working in everything. And our job is to kind of pull, pull those things out and draw attention to it. And so I believe that God is working in television. I do. I believe God is working in television. I don't think there's such thing as like the sacred and secular divide that a lot of people will think there is. I think it, sacred's everywhere. And so what we get to do as believers is we get to really like, like be detectives and really look for those kingdom things and then draw them out. And, 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 and I think the hope that God has for us is we can draw people's attention to those values and they can begin to ponder things of the kingdom and then get interested in it, right? So um, anyway, a, a recent show that Kate and I um, just really fell in love with and we can't wait for season two is a show on Netflix called Stranger Things. Has anyone seen Stranger Things? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Stranger Things? 
Okay, on the count of three, your favorite character. Ready? One, two, three, Dustin. If you didn't say Dustin, I'm not friends with you, okay? All right? Uh, no, but Stranger Things, I think, is just a really good television. Like, the quality, the story being told, it's really excellent. And, and um, I think Stranger Things, in, in a way, maybe has a little bit of something to say about the kingdom of God. And this may be a stretch for some of you, but I don't really care. I'm weird. So, um, so, so we're going to start, can we shut off the lights, and, and we're going to watch just a scene real fast. Now, the fun thing about this scene is there's subtitles in Portuguese, so there you go. All right, so that's a scene from Stranger Things, and um, and there's like one of the big uh, like things that Stranger Things talks about, and kind of like a big doorway for the whole show is this idea of the upside down. Okay, now in this show, the upside down is this like parallel universe. It's just like our world, but it's evil. It's like super evil. Okay, that's where my metaphor kind of like takes a U-turn because I'm actually going to say that there is this upside down reality, but it's actually good. It's the perfect reality. It's the kingdom of God all around us. Okay? The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. So, so we're currently working our way through the Gospel of Mark 
right? And we've learned some really fun things. But to sum up in a nutshell what kind of the main message in the first three and a half chapters of Mark is, the main message, Jesus' main kind of proclamation is this. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. Like, that's really the main message of Mark so far. So, and also, if you've, like, been around here or if you've listened to any sort of teaching in the last, like, 15 years, however long this place has been around, like, you'll notice that we talk about the kingdom of God a lot. Like, when I first came here, I thought it was weird, right? Like, I I grew up in a church where we didn't really talk about the kingdom of God very much. We talked a lot about personal salvation, and that's great, but we didn't really talk about the kingdom of God. And I was like, this is like the kingdom of God. Like, I'm an American. We have this rich history of, like, defeating a tyrant king. I don't want to be subject to another king, right? But we talk about the kingdom of God a lot here for a reason, Right? And the reason is, if you actually read through the Gospels, the number one thing that Jesus talks about the most, this is fact, not alternative fact. This is like real, honest-to-God fact. Okay, The one thing Jesus talks about the most is the kingdom of God. That's number one in all four Gospels. Okay, You know what number two is? Money. Money. Okay, Now, as Americans... Right? Those are two subjects we don't want to talk about very much. We don't like being subject to a king. Right? We fought for democracy. And we don't like anyone telling us what to do with our money. Right? We're good capitalists. Right? Greed is good. Right? But maybe like, Jesus' message is more even like, relevant to us today than it possibly ever could have been. And maybe it's more challenging to us today. He talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about money so much. Um, so, so we talk about the kingdom of God a lot because Jesus himself talks about the kingdom of God a lot. All right? uh, and we're told in Mark that the kingdom of God is here, yet we aren't really given a lot of explanation as to what that means over the first three and a half chapters of Mark. Okay? But here in Mark 4, um, we're finally treated to this series of stories. Right? There's parables. There's these parables in Mark chapter 4 um, that are told by Jesus that are meant to kind of illuminate... This really important concept of the kingdom of God. And these stories are really, really cool um, because Jesus uses like imagery and he uses symbolism and he uses metaphor. And he uses all this stuff that my college English professor would have called unnecessary bull fluff. Okay? That was his term for this, unnecessary bull fluff. And really when my college English professor would say that, he'd say, Noel, why are you using 600 words here when 200 words will do? Right? That's a bunch of unnecessary bull fluff. And you know, it's funny, because I remember in junior high and high school, maybe your experience is different, but I remember very clearly, like, when I first started academic writing, like, really, you know, like, I would always write things, and it would be, like, two pages, and I, I felt like I got my message across. And then I'd always get my grade, and it was, like, 75, and there were just red marks everywhere saying, more elaboration, more fluff, I need more, I need more, I need more, right? We're taught, like, in junior high and high school, that more fluff is better, more metaphors, more similes, more of this imagery. And then you get to college in the real world, and it's like, nope, everything you learn in high school is wrong. Right? Why, why use a thousand words when you can use 200? Right? Especially in the real world, right? No bank wants to read a bunch of metaphors on a business plan, right? They want the bullet points. We want the executive summary. We're the Twitter generation. We want stuff in 140 characters. We want the headline. You know? I mean, that's like, Half the reason fake news exists is because we just share the headline. Don't even read and judge the article. Like, we're, you know, in the real world, all that stuff we learned about elaboration, it it goes the opposite way. And and people want their information shorter and faster and more efficient, right? We want the executive summary. We want the thesis statement. You know, also, when I was younger, I used to love reading science fiction and fantasy books. 
Okay? And uh, in the sixth grade, <clears throat> I remember reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And for the first time in the sixth grade, all three books. And I was just like blown away. Such good literature, right? And I remember when I finished um, Return of the King and, and I had just finished it, I was like so excited to try to convince all my friends to read Lord of the Rings. I was like, guys, this, like, this is incredible. Like, this story is amazing. It's just going to be a really, really great life experience for you to read this. And I had this friend, Taylor, and, uh, and Taylor was like, okay, but I've seen the books. They're really long. So, Noel, like, pitch the book to me. I want you to kind of, like, tell me in a sentence or a couple sentences why I should read Lord of the Rings. And, and, of course, like, you can't do that. No one can really do that, right? If you've ever, like, read Lord of the Rings, you know that the universe and the characters and the themes, like, they're so grand, they're so vast, like, they're so, like, heavy and weighty that it's impossible to summarize Lord of the Rings in a couple sentences. Like, really, the only way to truly appreciate the stories in Lord of the Rings is to, like, engage with them by reading them, like, in their entirety, right? And I think Jesus is doing the same thing here. Right? The kingdom of God, if we really believe it's so grandiose, it's so majestic, right? It's this totally upside-down kingdom, right? Then why do we think Jesus should explain it in, you know, a couple sentences? Well, we want that. We want that because we're postmodern Westerners. We want our information quickly. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's not going to do that. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. He can't possibly just give us, like, a two-sentence executive summary of the kingdom of God. So instead... He uses unnecessary bull fluff, but it's really necessary because it's the only way to come across what the kingdom of God is like. And it's this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is, is, is trying to get to in our text this week. So let's dive in. Um, we have, starting on Mark chapter 4, verse 21, okay? Um, and I'm reading out of the NIV, all right? Um, so starts in verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, <clears throat> and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. All right, so this imagery used here of a lamp, okay? Right, this is like one of the five most common things, like, in first century, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, right? We didn't, they didn't have electricity, duh. So when things got dark, you know, like, the men of the town, like, began to light these series of lamps in their home, in the streets. Like, lamps were, like, just a... They were everywhere, because you had to have them for light when it got dark outside, right? And, and Jesus is using some humor here, obviously, but he makes this really simple point. You and I, when we have lamps... We don't, like, hide it in our coat closet, right? Like, if you're anything like me and, and you love, like, really, you, like, you love to buy, like, really neat, um, like, well-made stuff, then, then your, like, super hipster lamp with its Edison bulb and its reclaimed wood base, like, you're not just going to stick that in your bedroom. That's going to be, like, a centerpiece of your house. When you invite your friends over, you want that, like, super hipster lamp in that super minimalist living room you have to be, like, boom, you know? Like, if you've ever seen an episode of Fixer Upper, you know that, like, the lighting is kind of central to the house. It's, like, a big deal. Right? You don't buy a lamp from Ikea and put it under a bowl. Right? As followers of Jesus, um, there's this kind of, like, life uh, kind of changing message here. 
Let's look in 22. Continue on. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and, what, disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Because this is kind of an odd statement, right? And it's really our first glimpse of like this upside-downness of the kingdom. Okay? Right? Most people hide things so that they won't be revealed. Right? Most people keep secrets because they don't want it to get out into the open. Like that's, that's, that's the kingdom that we live in here. Right? Our kingdoms actually like like they need secrets they need hidden things right if the more stuff you hide from the public in the kingdoms of this earth the more power you can have over them right think of if we knew all the secrets of the american government we wouldn't trust them with any power no we'd be like whoa i cannot believe you're hiding this i cannot believe you have this secret i cannot like in this kingdom you get power by hiding stuff from people by keeping it secret right but in the kingdom of god it's totally upside down, right? In this kingdom, the things that are hidden are supposed to be revealed. Anything that seems like a secret is actually meant to be brought out into the light. You see, Jesus' illumination of the kingdom of God isn't like this magic code that's only available to be cracked by the rich and the powerful and like the elite. Right? It's not. This, like, instead, it's actually like a word for the streets. It's meant to go into the hood. Right? This is like, like, and, and oftentimes, actually, Jesus tells us that if you're rich and powerful and elite, you're going to have a hard time like, hearing this message. It's not meant for you, really. Because you're thinking about hiding things and keeping them to yourself. But this, this message is meant to be brought out into the open to illuminate. Right? The kingdom of God is totally upside down from the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus, right, he desires for us to also illuminate the parts of the world where the kingdom is working, kind of in secret, or the kingdom is hidden, right? We bring this lamp, and the lamp is referring to Jesus and and the gospel message of the kingdom coming. We bring this lamp to these parts of the world in which, which, like, like when you engage in television, to illuminate these truths of the kingdom so that everyone in the streets, everyone that you know, like, can be drawn into the light, revealing this beautiful story of the kingdom of God. Right? As followers of Jesus, we don't keep kingdom things to ourselves. We draw attention to them for everyone's blessing. Right? Now, this is further explained and also further made really confusing in verse 24. It goes like this. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. That's probably important. He says it back to back. Um, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Man, I love this part of the parable, but I have to give you a tiny bit of warning. Like, in my studying for today, these two verses, I hate that this is true, but we just got to be honest here. These two verses are translated in a bunch of different ways. Okay? Depending on what version of the Bible you have, they translate that word measure to, to mean, like, totally different things. Not opposite things. They're never, like, in opposition to each other. But they can be used to, like, they translate them to different things. For example, there's a lot of, very, there's a lot of translations of the Bible um, in which the phrase is made to sound like Jesus is talking about however receptive you are to the Word of God is how much the Word of God is going to impact you. So if you receive the Word of God and you're open to it, then even more is going to, you're going to be illuminated with an understanding of even more in the kingdom. But if you're not receptive to it, you're going to be like the soil from the, from the previous parable, and, and even the things that you think you understand are going to be taken from you. I think that's a valid interpretation. I do. Um, but 
and hear me out on this, and I'm not, I'm not alone. There's, there's also a school of, a pretty well-populated school of thought, and, and the NIV translators are also in my school of thought, um, where I think Jesus is making an even like, bigger, more general statement. It includes that previous translation, but I think he's making an even more general statement about the kingdom. And, and I think the statement he's really making um, is this. I think Jesus is making an even more holistic point. All right? and, and basically, I think what Jesus is really trying to say is this. In God's kingdom... It's not what you have, it's what you use. Okay? In God's kingdom, it's not what you have, it's what you use. And really, more, it's not what you have, but it's what you give away. And, and I get there like this. I get there like this. Okay? If you look at the Greek in verse 24, like, it actually flows in this really weird way. It flows like this. The measure you measure out will be measured to you. That's what it says in the Greek. The measure you measure out will be measured to you. Okay? Which, of course, this sounds like a grammar nightmare. Um, but if you think about it slowly, if you listen carefully to what Jesus is saying, I think there's a profound statement about the upside-downness of the kingdom right here. You see, in the first century, your measure, your measure was like the amount, the mass area of stuff you had. Grain, wheat, right? You'd go to the market and you would take a measure of, of life sustenance to take back to your house. That's where the word measures comes from. Okay? You, you get your measure. So your measure in the first century is this amount of like life-sustaining stuff that you have, that you need for life. Okay? So if we, if we think about it in the Greek, the measure you measure out will be measured to you. Um, if you were to measure out your measure... That means that you're giving away some of the life sustenance that you have. You're not holding it for yourself. It's that whole, like, the, the thing we talk about a lot about holding stuff loosely, right? Like, because you know you're going to give it away. So here in this parable, what if we thought of our measure as the things that give us life, right? Both on the, in the kingdom of God, but also, like, like, practically, like, on this planet, Okay? So, you know, our knowledge of God gives us life. Our relationship with Jesus, our gifts from the Spirit, our talents, our skills, our abilities, but also, like, our wealth is kind of important for living here. Our possessions, our love, right? What if all those things were our measure? And, and what if Jesus is really making this, this upside-down statement that those who give away the most actually get the most? Like, in the kingdom of God, right, in the kingdom of, of earth... Like, you, you get the most when you collect the most, then you hang on to it. Or if you're really smart, you invest it so it can grow even more. Right? But in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. To get the most, you actually give away the most. Right? To have the things that give you life, you have to, give, you have to generously give away the things of your life. Right? Be a giver, not a grasper. Right? The way to fullness in Christ, I think Jesus is saying, the way to fullness in the kingdom is actually by emptying yourself out. Right? There's no better example of this than Jesus. Jesus was elevated to kingship. How? By giving his life totally and completely. He emptied everything he had. He is the perfect model of this upside-down principle. If we think of it this way, in that upside-down sort of manner, then I think verse 25 actually makes some more poetic sense to us. Right? So verse 25 says, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that whoever has this understanding 
that like the stuff that you have, you use and you give away, you're going to be given more. Presumably, so that you can give away more. Right? Don't make this into like some sort of prosperity gospel game. Right? Jesus is not saying, like, hey, Noel, if you give $20 to every single person this morning, you're going to get that times seven. Okay? Like, don't, like, I don't, this isn't like a, a code to be broken. I think this is a more general thing in which, like, the stuff that you give away, right, is going to be returned to you in a more life-giving way than what this world says it is. Okay? But someone who doesn't have this understanding of the kingdom principle, right, someone who doesn't want to share their stuff and use it and give it away, right, they're going to be a hoarder, right, because they're going to be looking for life in all these places, right? What's the meaning of life? What makes me happy? And they're going to hang on to it, and they're going to hide it, and they're going to keep it secret, and they're going to just hold on to it really tightly. And, and then Jesus says, look, if you're holding on to your stuff tightly, that's going to be taken away from you, right? Think about the, the treasures you store on this earth versus the treasures you store in heaven, Right? And, and, and really, like, you know, the hard message is, if you're not willing to give up everything, you, like, when you die, you may not be resurrected into the kingdom of God, and literally everything's taken away from you. Right? I mean, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom, because they just want to grasp and hoard all their things. They don't want to give it away. <clears throat> so let's finish this morning by taking this and asking ourselves, okay, where does this really truly apply to my day-to-day life? And I think the answer is, if you listen and and if you look around, you'll notice that this really applies everywhere. Like, literally everywhere. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because we already talked about the kingdom of God is working everywhere. Okay? So, for example, let's start with our knowledge and relationship with Jesus. Okay? I can assure you, and I, I admittedly have a shorter life than a lot of you in here. But, even in my 29 years, I can assure you, the times in which I've received a greater portion of knowledge of Jesus and intimacy with Jesus were the times in which I gave it away. I gave away my knowledge. I gave away my intimacy with Christ. I tried desperately to share all this joy and peace and love that Christ like intimately communes with me, and I try to give it to others. When that happens in my life, I find that I, I get this greater portion of Christ, of the kingdom of God. It doesn't always look like material kingship, right? Because it's a different kind of kingdom. But I, I definitely do get this greater portion um, I find that when I begin to share the gospel news of Jesus with others, um, that the good news of the kingdom like, begins to actually feel good to me. Like I begin to really understand more how good it is when I share that good news, when I give it away, when I don't hang on to it. Right? Now, this kingdom truth shows itself in relationships, too. Right? Like, this is super practical. Right? In any relationship, and especially in marriage... Right? If you're only looking for that your, 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 your partner or even like your friend to meet your needs, how can you satisfy me? How can you fill me up? I need this. I need that. When you're grasping for things and you want your partner to meet your needs, that, that relationship is going to suffocate. It's going to die. It's going to be taken away from you. But what if instead in your relationships with your friends, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your enemies, what if instead your focus was on what can I give away? How can I meet your needs? How can I share everything that God's given me with you freely? You don't have to pay me back. When that happens, especially when both people in a relationship do that, man, then you receive this greater, deeper intimacy with each other. It really is a different and better portion of kingdom life that the relationship receives. Right? And and lastly, um, and there's all kinds of applications of this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about money. Okay? Um, now, so if you have this prosperity gospel bent to you, then this upside down of the kingdom is like super exciting, 
right? Um, because, you know, does this mean that, like I said earlier, if I give stuff away, I'll become even richer? And if that's the case, then, like, George, I'm giving you all my savings because, like, God's going to bless me with, like, a super high bank account. And, and here's the deal. I think Jesus does sometimes financially bless people who give their finances away. Like, I know people and that happens. You know, I think that happens to people sometimes. I think there, there, there's, there's something there. Jesus sometimes blesses people financially. And I think the reason is because they're good stewards of that and they give that finances away. Um, now, that does happen. But I don't think that's like a universal truth of the kingdom of God. That's not the point Jesus is making. Right? I think <clears throat> what's infinitely better about this kingdom principle is that when we give out our measure of wealth, when we give out our measure of possessions, right? When we give out our riches, and we do it with pure intentions, right? Not to receive, but just to bless, to give. Right? The riches we get back are far more valuable in the eternal kingdom than the riches we gave away. Okay? When you, when you live a life of radical generosity, you find that your soul doesn't really succumb to greed as often. Right? You no longer have this like 24-hour desire to make more money. Right? These, it, it's really, your soul can like rest. It can rest because you're not in this rat race anymore. You're not in this rat race anymore. The way to power and influence is through humility and service, right? To find your life, you have to lose it. If you really want to live, you must be willing to die, right? These are all things in the Gospels that just continue to reflect this upside-downness of the kingdom, right? The things that are hidden are meant to be revealed. Secrets are meant to be shared in the open. To have life, you have to give it away. In the kingdom, the way up is down. And the way to have fullness is to empty yourself. And this one's hard for me. The way to be truly free is to actually enslave yourself to Christ. That one's hard. That one's hard. The point I'm trying to make is the kingdom that we all want more of. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And I'm going to end this morning... um, with this passage from C.S. Lewis. It's, it's a really famous passage. It's the very last thing he writes in the book Mere Christianity. Okay? And it illustrates the upside-downness of the kingdom of God so well. It, it, it goes like this. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and then you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being. I love the British spelling of fiber. Of your being. And you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Oh, that's good. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to it. It's the beauty of the upside-down kingdom. All right, so for our kingdom time this morning, it's going to be really simple. Um, i just love for us to get in some small groups, if we can. And, and, and really, like, I want us to encourage each other by sharing some examples from our past. Because I know you guys have probably lived this kingdom value for longer than I have. 
And some of us struggle with it, and we'd like to be encouraged with some examples in the past. Okay? So, um, in your history with Jesus, how has this principle of the upside-downness of the kingdom, how has it actually affected your life? Like, do you have any encouraging stories of times in which like, you measured out more kingdom life, and, and, and you emptied yourself, and you actually like, received more measure of the kingdom? Right? Because you emptied yourself for the sake of others. So I'd love for y'all to just kind of share stories, encourage, like, yes, like, this makes no sense. It's totally upside down. I know it's scary to give away your stuff. I know it's scary to give away your life. I know it's scary to give away your love so freely because when you give away your heart so much, it's going to be broken over and over and over again. But I promise you, this upside down principle is the truth because here's how, you know, I received more of a kingdom portion of this or I received more of a measure of this. So I'd love for y'all to get together. Share some examples. Encourage each other that this hard journey of following Jesus, like it is worth it. This upside down kingdom is infinitely better than the kingdoms of this earth. Okay? And then we'll get back together um, in about five minutes or so, and I'll pray, and then we can go get our kids and stuff. Okay? All right. Thank you, guys.